So we've, we've been going through the book of Leviticus, and we are trying to go as chapter by chapter as we can. But it does mean that um, you can't talk about everything that's in the chapter. For example, if you particularly want to know what's going on with this um, female servant here, uh, will you come and chat to me afterwards? Um, because there's not enough time this evening for us to handle everything that's in there. However, as we begin, think about the person that you love. Think about Perhaps it's an intimate and deep friendship. Perhaps it's a spouse. Um, perhaps it's a child that is sitting next to you. That child is now in danger. That deep friendship, okay? Let's imagine they're in a burning building or some other thing like that. Um, would, you, would you go in? Would you rescue them? Would you? Child or sp- what if you have more than one child? Obviously, you pick your favorite child. You try and rescue them. Okay, that's how when we were on a plane once, uh, the uh, air hostess just said, if you've got to choose, you choose your favorite child, put the oxygen mask on them, you know, and then you'll live to see a better day with your favorite child. But why would you rescue them? Whether it's a meaningful friendship, whether it's a spouse, why would you rescue them? Anybody? Why, why would you bother? Because you love them. Okay, so what you're saying to me is if, I'm, if I have in my mind a picture of a rescue, whether it's an animal, whether it's a child, okay, what you're telling me is after that child has been rescued, you don't just go, great, mate, now I'm going to live your life. Go and live your life. See you later. Like that would be weird, wouldn't it? If you rescued a pet that was a pet that was precious to you, paid good money for it, let's imagine. Um, not that you pay good money for a child, but for a pet. And... If you completely ignored it, it wouldn't make any sense, would it? Because just as with our real relationships in the real world, so it is with the God of the Scriptures. He rescues, not so that he can say, I've canceled your debt now, your sins are forgiven, forget you. But so that he can be in relationship with us. And we've been getting that again and again, every chapter of the book of Leviticus and You've been reminded again and again, and if you're taking notes, that's in your notes, okay, you got no excuse. The only reason you care about any of these rules and commandments is because if you believe the king has rescued you, has loved you, and now you live a life of thanks to him. So that's where we are in Leviticus 19. In the middle of learning, what does it mean to live this new life if you've been rescued by the God of the Bible? So the nation of Israel, they knew that part of their job was then to represent this God faithfully, to show exactly what he's like in the way that they live. Do you remember when we had the little mini tabernacle over here and we were going through, you know, the outer court and then you had the holy place and you had the most holy place. And the closer you get to the place, the most holy place, the holier things need to be. It can't just be anybody there. You've got to be more and more set apart. In a similar way now, we change the tune ever so slightly and we realize that the closer you want to walk in your life with this God here, the more your moral life changes. And outside of church, as it were, outside the tabernacle, this call to live a holy, set-apart life changes now everything. Changes everything. Not just when you're near the tabernacle, Not just when you, Christian, are in church, but everywhere else. 
And so their motivation for following everything that we're going to talk about in chapter 19 had to do with at least this. I'm so thankful this God rescued me. He rescued me out of Egypt. And we've seen before that for us Christians today, we can say not that Jesus rescued us from Egypt, but from our sin. And then at least after being thankful, they would think, you know what? All of the nations around me, they need to know about this great God. And they will know as they look at my life. What a call. So maybe later on, if you want a bit of homework, as you lay your head on your pillow, here's your homework that you can do. You can look at the Ten Commandments, and you can pair up each of the Ten Commandments with uh, the commandments in here, in Leviticus chapter 19. But for now, I'm going to try and persuade you that if an Israelite was wanting to follow this, they would have known they were rescued to be holy, rescued to honor, rescued to do a few other things. So we're going to go through. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Let's read them together. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So God had rescued them, do you notice, before he even gave them the law of Moses. So what we can't say is, hey, come and be a follower of this God. Obey him and he will love you. We can't say that. Because the Israelites were only given these rules and commandments after he rescued them from Egypt. Already here, in these first two verses, you have one of the differences between Christianity and all the other religions of the world. All the other religions of the world might say, prove your worth by obeying the rule, the commandment, the number of prayers, the set way that you do this, the way that you come into the building, the way that you leave the building. Obey, and then, perhaps, the God or the gods will love you. Here is a God, the God of Israel, who says, look at the very end of the passage, Verse 36, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. He's already done it. He's already loved the people of Israel. Just as Jesus has already loved the church, all those who believe, and opened their eyes before they could decide one day and say, you know what? I'm just going to follow God. No, he loved us first. What amazing God. What a difference. And that's why we have that sandwich. In verse 1 and in the verse that we read, it sandwiches the chapter saying it's all about the call to be holy like your God is holy because he has rescued you. And as you do that, every area of your life is going to be affected. From the family business to friendships, and as we've seen in previous chapters in Leviticus, to what you eat and to your bodily fluids. Go and listen to that sermon again. But I wonder, what do you think just for you to say something on. If anybody spent any length of time with Tiago, what do you think they would learn? What would they find out about Tiago? Think about that first. I don't know if I should allow you to say something, but perhaps some of you might say they would learn that Tiago loves a medium roast coffee, that he will be drinking it several times a day. Perhaps they would learn that he likes exercise, that he's, he likes cats and pets, particularly that after a long, hard day at work, he might like to pick up a cat and sniff it. Most of all, I would hope and pray 
that if you spent a day with me, you would see that I love this God who rescued me. That's my hope and dream. That's the challenge already in these first couple of verses. If you are rescued to be holy, set apart, that means other people who spend time with us would be able to see that the Lord has set us apart and we live a different life. And that's why we also want to see here that we are rescued to honor. Look at these groups of people here. Verse 3, who do you honor first? Each of you must respect, honor your mother and father. You must observe my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Watch this for a second and perhaps relive some of your childhood, which I never got to experience being a foreigner. I'm an expert at talking. We need a car. Bravo. A one, two, three, hoopla. Oh. Move further in, Mummy Pig. I'll just go for a little walk. It's coming out. What's this? Two tickets to the theater tonight. Thank you. Daddy Pig. <laughs> I mean, we, we got here in the room some, some pebbles mums from our toddler group. Um, can I just ask you, because I couldn't find the answer to this, does Daddy Pig ever do anything useful? He doesn't, does he? That's very interesting. I picked this cartoon because as soon as I read, each of you must respect your mother and father. I thought about all of the cartoons that I grew up with, and none of them show any respect <laughs> for parents whatsoever. Even in a culture of some, I don't know, 4,000 years ago, where it was the norm to respect those older than you, if even then this needed to be commanded, how much more today, well, you'd be you would forgive any toddler growing up watching Peppa Pig for thinking, yeah, daddy's a bit useless, isn't he? He's a bit dumb, really. He's a bit dim. You would be forgiven for thinking that if that poor toddler has grown up on a diet of daddy pig. And yet here, God is saying part of representing him means honoring father and mother, the family unit that God has designed to reflect him. And note even the curious fact that mother is mentioned in that sentence. In an ancient world where women don't have the same rights as men, and yet they must be honored by their children. Would you have thought, I wonder, that honoring, loving, caring for, being devoted to the good of your parents would be reflective of God's love? I never would have thought about that. But that, it doesn't end there. It's not the only people that you are rescued, if you're a Christian, to honor. Rescued to honor parents, rescued to honor, verse 32, look at it. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. I mean, if you, if you then grew up in the UK and you moved on from Peppa Pig, but now you're watching Disney movies, 
of course, the image of adults will have improved, won't it? Won't it? Not, not at all. <laughs> because you pick almost any Disney movie, what is the role of the aged? They normally just try and curb the freedom of the young, don't they? They're not people to be admired. They're people who are stuck in the old ways, saying, oh, when I was young, we used to do it like this. They're the people that you don't really want to care much about. Isn't that true? Again, you would be forgiven for thinking, living in our culture, that the aged have anything at all to offer. That you should have any respect, and such respect, at verse 32, you would show it by standing up when they enter the room. Wow, that is some measure of respect. Who do you stand up for? Who would you respect? We all respect somebody, and yet it seems that in our culture, we would sooner respect a celebrity or perhaps an influencer or an actor or an actress than we would respect those who have lived through life been through a few things and then some God is saying my people the people who belong to me the people I have rescued part of their new life is to show respect for those who are older and elsewhere in the scriptures you may not be surprised to know that the gray hairs are the crown of wisdom because you guys who are a little bit older than me should know a thing or two that I don't know let me give you an example. In my foolishness, I'm 32 years old, just learning to play a different sport. And so I thought to myself, who can I perhaps have a little sparring match with in the badminton court? The church treasurer. So I invited the church treasurer, uh, sitting over there, for a friendly match. Perhaps I'll go easy on him. We played for 45 minutes the first time we played together. Please, guess now, how many points did I score against the church treasurer? One point? <laughs> I have no faith whatsoever in me. <laughs> I scored more than that. I scored four points, I believe, four points. I thought to myself, perhaps I should go down the list. I then challenged for a game of squash one of our deacons. Both of those opportunities left me suitably humble. And I remembered that being young and believing the narrative of our culture that being younger is better doesn't work. And yet, even though those things are true, what is the reason in verse 32 that we should respect those who are older. It isn't their prowess, their intelligence that drives us to respect them. It is this, fear the God who watches over them and who structured society to function well when we love them. So honor parents, honor the elderly. That's why you are rescued if you are a believer. Honor God's timetable. Look at verse 3, the Sabbath. What is it that marks Christians? out in the world, I wonder. What marked Jews out in the world? I'd say if you're a bloke and you're in the sauna, certain things about a Jewish man's body would mark him out as a Jewish man. You would know. There are stories in the ancient world about this. They were circumcised. 
if you spent a length of time with a Jewish person, you would have known that on the Sabbath day, they worship there. And you cannot dissuade them to move away from that. Now, we Christians look at this and we know that the Sabbath is a picture of enjoying God, of stopping work and worshiping Him in that pattern of work and rest, that the Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus. You have more questions, come and chat to us. But listen to this in the book of Hebrews. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. But the Sabbath points to another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. We know that God has had established the Sabbath so that God's people would rest and reflect Him by worshiping Him. By the time Jesus comes along, the Bible says there is a greater rest, a rest from our works, a rest of being forever with God and all of the people He's rescued, and we enter that rest by faith. Worship is the way that Christians are set apart, just as Jews were set apart by worshiping their God on the Sabbath. People ought to see that principle in our lives. That yes, we work for God's glory, but ain't nobody going to stop us from worshiping Him. That's normal and natural for us. So we honor, we rescue to honor parents, rescue to honor the elderly, and in all of that, we reflect the love of God and rescued to honor God's command. Now, there are lot, there's lots of stuff in this chapter. I mean, if you look at verse 26 onwards, there's lots of stuff in there. That's just weird, isn't it? Because that's Leviticus for us. There's a big cultural gap between us and the ancient Israelites, and there's a bunch of stuff in there, and that's strange. But I'm going to suggest to you, although we don't have time, each of those things, for example, not eating meat with the blood still in it. You can listen to Paul White, um, uh, his sermon last week, and figure out what's going on, what's going on there. Um, sorry, the, the week before that, about life being in the blood. Divination, omens, cutting of hair, um, cutting the bodies. All of those things basically represent the temptation that God's people had to move away from what God said they should do when they worshipped. So whenever we come to one of these commands, because we don't have time, let me give you at least a couple of questions that you ought to ask if you want to know, is this for today or is it not for today? Okay? So we want to ask a question like, what did it mean for them to honor God's commands? What did it mean for them? Let me give you an example. One of our young people said, um, I was talking to my parents, and my parents are really against me having a tattoo at any point in my life, okay? And so they said, is that in the Bible anywhere? I said, well, normally we tend to go to a particular passage, and here it is, verse 28. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. So I want to ask, what did it mean for them then to have a tattoo? Well, the context tells me here, that it's about worshiping idols, false gods, gods that don't exist. Now, I had a youth leader who had a tattoo on his foot. 
I asked them, was that in the honor of a false god? Did you worship a god by having a K on your foot? That wasn't the case. And so for me, it seems that I can't tell somebody today, don't have a tattoo because of this verse. I might want to tell them, you might not want to have a tattoo because your body's going to get wrinkled. The part of your body that you get a tattoo on maybe will sag, and it might not look so great. There might be a reason to do with wisdom. But if I ask the question, what did it mean for them if tattoo meant worship for them, and it doesn't mean that today, I'm safe in saying you can get a tattoo today <laughs> if you really want to. Um, I, I have other, other good reasons why you shouldn't get a tattoo, but you can come and ask me about those. And then you want to ask the question, would doing the exact same thing here today accomplish the same goal? I don't think it necessarily would. If people saw that Tiago doesn't have a single tattoo in his body, they wouldn't go, man, they must really worship a different God to me. They wouldn't think that. Here's an example. Verse 19, look at it. Some of us in the congregation are farmers or children of farmers. Were you ever tempted to perhaps crossbreed a sheep and a cow? I mean, that may not have been a temptation for you. Or a sheep and a goat. Back then, perhaps they would have had a temptation to move away from God's order of creation. Well, when you look at the book of Genesis, everything is according to their kind. And so I believe that as I read this verse, it makes sense to say, the question I want to ask is, how can I live in such a way that I show I believe God's good order of creation? It's true. Still in that verse, don't plant a field with two kinds of seed, because again, it's a picture of not mixing together two things God has created to be distinct. That doesn't mean anything for us today, not least because many of us don't have a farm, but how can we honor God's order in creation? I only have to say, by following his design for our sexuality, that you already go, oh, yes, that is a lot harder. They're not planting wheat and barley in the same field. If I chose to follow God's blueprint for my sexuality, I would be going against the way that the world lives. There's yet another one in there, again in verse 19. It makes all of you in trouble. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Is there anybody here tonight? Anybody got a mixture of cotton and polyester or anything like that? Okay, so you would have been in trouble, wouldn't you? But read this with me. In Exodus chapter 28, if you can get your fingers across the pages fast enough, we hear instructions about how the clothes of God's holy priests that represent him, how they should be made. So Exodus 28 from verse 1. Let Aaron, your brother, be brought to you from among the Israelites with his sons so that they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for them. Look at verse 4. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that they may serve me as priests. Make them Use gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, one fabric, 
and fine linen. The other instance I could think of in the scriptures of people using mixed fabrics were the priests that had a very specific role of representing God. They were set apart. Nobody else could do the job that they were doing unless they were a descendant of the same tribe. Could it be that if another Israelite in that timeline, in that place in history, if they wanted to go out of their way to wear something of mixed fabrics, it was because they were saying, there's no difference between me and a priest. I'm just the same. And if you look at the book of Numbers, the time that people think that is the time that Korah, Nathan, and Abiram rebel against God and say, Moses and Aaron aren't any different to me, and the earth swallows them whole. What's the point? The point is that all of this is part of being a rescued people who want to not just parents, God's timetable or the elderly, but God's leaders. And even today, God's church leaders, although we are not distinguished, as you can see, by our clothing, although you might argue that my clothing is distinguishably more fashionable than Andy's, that's not how you know that we are servants of God, shepherds of his flock. That's not how you know. You know that because of the way he has structured the church that we are shepherds. And the way that you honor, that you honored people then, is different to how you would honor God's leaders now. Listen to one example of it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account to God. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So part of what God's people are rescued for is to honor and respect and love their leaders who seek to represent God to them. But even though we're almost out of time, let me do another one. You are rescued to have integrity. That's our next heading. Look at verses 11 and 12. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I'm very frustrated with this particular character. Who is this character? Severus, yes? Severus Snape, yes. Now here's what I'm frustrated about, okay? I'm not going to give anything away if you're reading the Harry Potter books, um, any of that kind of stuff. But as I attempted to read through all of the volumes. I've not finished, okay? Forgive me, forgive me. Um, I got distracted by reading other things. I could never tell whether this character was being genuinely helpful or whether he was genuinely just looking for a soft spot to stab him in the back. One scene, I'm reading, and this dude is like, wow, actually, maybe he's just, he's just someone who's misunderstood. He's just unloved. Okay, he just doesn't know how to express himself. And the next minute I'm like, this dude is a death eater. He's just going to kill all the other children on the next page. Similar thing happens to me when I look at this character called Gollum. Absolutely. Gollum, Sneagol. 
if you have as much pity on him as Gandalf does, as you go in through the Lord of the Rings, as you're reading it, more so in Lord of the Rings, uh, in, in the books than in the movie, in the movies, you take pity on him and you go, man, he is trying. Now that someone has loved him, he is trying. And the next minute, he's like nearly stabbing someone. This is what is frustrating about characters that don't have integrity. You can't trust who they are. You can't trust what they are doing. Whether they are on your side or not. The word there, the word that we use today for integrity, comes from a word that means whole, integritatem. That means whole or sound or complete. Here's where I'm going with this. Here is a temptation for all of us human beings to not be whole, to be fractured people who are one thing with one group of people, another thing with another group of people. We are tempted to be people who misrepresent things for example, who pretend that after I've taken what's yours, I pretend it's mine. I misrepresent one. Perhaps to misrepresent myself to you, that's called a lie. To make you think something of me, that's not true. Perhaps to deceive you for my own gain. We all know what it's like to have two-faced friends who will behave one way with you and another with someone else. Or maybe you know with me from when I was a teacher. Because you know the conversations you have in the staff room. Even if you don't participate, you know that as soon as you leave, they'll be having the same conversation and shredding you and peeling off your life bit by bit. Who are God's people to be? If they were rescued to have integrity, they are not people who will misrepresent what they own by stealing who will misrepresent a picture of other people's characters by lying or by deceiving someone else because they can make themselves look good. At the time that this book was written, you may have profaned God's name by saying, I swear by God, this isn't going to happen. I won't do this. I haven't done this. And therefore you misrepresent the God of Israel. Here, God's people are called to be authentic. Now, we're going to have to bring things to a close, but just think with me for a second. One of the things that in all of the statistics, all of the research that I've read, in the generations that are younger than me, what they value the most is authenticity. No lies. Just being true to yourself, being honest, what you see is what you get. We Christians have the most motivation to be honest, to have integrity. Why? God, the God of the Bible, has already seen the mess in my heart. He's already seen that I'm a sinner, that I'm hopelessly, incurably sinful. And he has chosen to love me and to give me a new life, to rescue me, to forgive me. That frees me to be authentic, to not have to do any of these things, to not have to fall into those temptations. And when I do, to be able to say, I messed up, I am sorry. There's so much more that I'd planned to say, but I got a bit too carried away. I'm sorry. Think with me just like this. 
what kind of a church would we be if everybody who walked in our midst saw a people who are rescued to be wholly set apart, to be a people who honor all those different categories of people, our parents, the elderly, who honor all of God's words, all of those who have integrity and are transparent with you, wouldn't they want to follow the same God? When I met people like this when I was 15 years old for the first time, I did. And here I am today, still someone who is able to say, I'm wowed by how God still chose to rescue me. And I pray that you, in being wowed, would live a life of thanks to him that looks a little bit like this. And that you, like I hope to do, would repent when we fail, knowing that the arms of the Father are open to, cha to change you one day at a time.